Good morning and welcome. We're grateful for your presence. We're thankful to have visitors with us today. We have a number of our folks away. It is the time of year when people are traveling, and so we want to keep them in our prayers. We pray that they might have a safe return. If you are in the process of traveling to another destination, we want to keep you in our prayers. We pray for a safe journey. I want to remind you that tonight we have the young men leading our service. We want to encourage everyone to come back to be a part of that. I know that they would appreciate your presence as well as your encouragement, and I think it's going to be a, a great evening, and we have a lot of talented young men. Wednesday night, we had the Foundations class, some of the men from the Foundations class with us, and they, they actually did the, well, the entire service Wednesday night, did a great job. But our young men, I think they do equal, equally as well. And so you'll want to be here tonight to be a part of that. We're glad that Jared and Anna are back with us. We're glad that they had a safe trip last week. And we're glad to have them back home safe and sound. We're going to be looking today at John chapter 8 as we think about the theme, freedom is never cheap. Have you ever thought about the many, many lives that have been slain on the battlefield? I just read recently where it has been said that World War II was the deadliest military conflict in history. That's staggering, isn't it? Nancy's great uncle was killed at Pearl Harbor. He was on the ship Arizona. His final resting place today is at the bottom of the sea. There have been millions of people that have literally gave, that, that have literally given the ultimate price for our freedom. And for that, we're grateful. We live in a free country, and we ought to be grateful for that. To think that God has blessed us immeasurably, that we have the opportunity to live, to interact, to worship God without fear of any kind of outside harm or persecution. We ought to continually pray to God that he will bless us with the freedoms that we enjoy in this country. I want us to think today for just a moment or two about the great cost of freedom because I believe that freedom is never cheap and we need to see that. And so we're going to be looking at John chapter 8 in our study today and I want to invite you to turn with me in the scriptures to what is said, recorded by the Apostle John, but said or told by Jesus. Before we begin this lesson, I want to ask you to pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we are so thankful for the many blessings and favors that we enjoy in Christ. We're thankful for the freedom that we have in this country, for the many men and women that have made the ultimate sacrifice so that we might enjoy freedom. We're grateful for not just the freedom that we enjoy in this country, but the freedom that we enjoy in Christ. And Father, we realize that living in sin leads to a life of bondage or captivity. And we pray that as we look to your word that we would see that freedom, spiritually speaking, can only be found 
in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Read with me, if you would, what Jesus said, beginning in verse 31 of John chapter 8. Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you will be my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say, You will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I want to begin by talking about the bondage of sin. Because literally, those who live in sin are living a life of bondage. They may, in many respects, view themselves as free. But what Jesus is saying here is that if you are living a life of sin, then you are literally living a life of bondage. As we think about the bondage of sin, I want to to share with you some thoughts along these lines. First of all, there is the captivity of sin. When I think about the captivity of sin, immediately my mind thinks back to the work of Satan. Because you see, Satan is doing everything within his power to ensnare people in a life of sin. We understand that biblically speaking, the devil walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And the Bible tells us that what he does to ensnare or entrap people is that he baits. And as a result of the bait that is used, people typically take the bait, and thus become ensnared in a life of sin. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 at verse 26, the Apostle Paul talks about those who are taken captive by the devil to do his will. What do you think the devil would use to allure people into a life of sin? Well, John tells us, In 1 John chapter 2, John talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. If you go back and you look at the Garden of Eden and the work of Satan or the serpent in the garden, you'll find that he used those three things to entice Mother Eve. The Bible tells us not only did Eve transgress the will of God, but Adam likewise was taken in sin. And then look at Matthew chapter 4, the temptations posed to Jesus. Jesus faced three very specific temptations, and they could be summed up by the words of John, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And so that's literally how the devil operates today. He's doing everything within his power to entangle, ensnare, entrap us in a life of sin. And then there is a second thing I want to share with you, and that is the condemnation of sin. I think sometimes people forget the fact that to live a life of sin is to live a life of condemnation. Do you remember what Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 16? 
He said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Somebody says, well, God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world. That's correct. Why was that? Because the world was already under condemnation. You see, man had transgressed the will of God. As a result of that, mankind had been separated. Isaiah talks about how sin separates people from their God. Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 2 at verse 12 that those who are outside of Christ, they are without hope and without God in the world. Those who are outside of Christ are under condemnation. And yet in, in Romans chapter 8 verse 1, Paul would say there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And so the inference is those who are outside of Christ who have not tasted the benefits and the blessings of salvation, they stand condemned. There's a third thing that we would do well to see, and that is the consequences of sin. What are the consequences of living a life of sin? There are a lot of folks that want to live as they please in life. The problem is, many times people forget about the consequences associated with a life of sin. Now, in John chapter 8, listen to what Jesus said again in verse 34. Most assuredly, or truly, truly, verily, verily, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. What Jesus is saying is that those who are living in sin are literally the bondservants of sin. They have been taken captive by the devil. They are under his reign. They may, not, they may not necessarily acknowledge him as their God, but he's their God. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, talks about the God of this age, the God of this world. Let me tell you what, the God of this world is at work. The God of this age is doing everything within his power to deceive people. As a result of that, many folks living today Fail to understand the consequences associated with sin. Does the Bible talk about the consequences of choosing to live outside the scope of redemption? Yes. Again, Paul in Ephesians 2.12 said that those who are outside a covenant relationship with the Lord, they're without hope and without God in this world. Have you ever been in a situation in which you found yourself with no hope whatsoever? Sometimes we talk about seeing light at the end of the tunnel. Things may look bleak, barren, dark, however you want to phrase it. It may seem like the odds are stacked against us, but there is this ray of hope that we have. Well, what Paul is saying is, if you're living outside of Christ, you don't have any hope. You don't have any kind of hope. Not now, not later. He said, not only are you without hope, you're without God. The Lord, the Lord God is not at your side. The Lord God is not the ruler of your life. 
So what about the consequences of living in sin? Paul said in Romans chapter 6 at verse 23, the wages of sin is death. Did you know that there is a payday coming someday? We talk about the payoff for Christianity. When I choose to live a life for Jesus Christ, what are the benefits and the blessings that I derive? Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 that in Christ we enjoy every spiritual blessing. Everything that you need is in Christ spiritually. You have the promise of pardon from every sin. Paul said in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. To know that the blood of Christ is at work in your life. To know that you have the presence of God in your life. The Hebrew writer said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. What shall man do unto me? The psalmist in the long ago said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. To know that there are many, many provisions for me in Christ. One of those great provisions is the presence of God. To know that in Christ, the payoff for Christianity, I have the opportunity to bow my head in prayer to God any time, day or night. Paul often prayed to God. Paul used prayer as a medium of communication between him and God. The beauty and the blessings associated with prayer is found in the fact, or reflected in the fact, that not only can we pray to God, but we can pray for one another, and we can ask others to pray for us. Paul would write to the Thessalonians and say, pray without ceasing. He would write to those same people in chapter 5, verse 25 of 1 Thessalonians, and he would say, brethren, pray for us. To know that we can bow our heads in prayer to Almighty God, and he hears us. Solomon said, the prayer of the upright is his delight. We talk about the payoff for Christianity. You will be immensely blessed if you're in Christ if you choose to live a life for the Lord. Because you see, there are some blessings that are tangible that you can enjoy right now. And then I think about the promise of life eternal. To know that one day the Lord will bestow on those who are his what is called the Stephanos, the victor's crown. Paul said in Titus chapter 1, verse 2, that those of us who are in Christ, we live in hope of life eternal, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. To know that you have the promise of life eternal. To know that one day God will give you everlasting life. Now we live in hope of life eternal, but that hope will be realized one day in heaven. Jesus in Revelation chapter 2 at verse 10 said, Be faithful until death, the promise being the crown of life. James talked about the difficulties that we face in life, the hardships that we are confronted with on a regular basis, the fact that we face not only outward trials, but inward temptations. And he said it's in that context that the one who endures temptation shall receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to them that love him. James 1 verse 12. So that's the payoff for Christianity. 
But what about the payday for the unrighteous? Well, Paul said the wages of sin is death. Some have said there is a payday someday. It's true. There's a payday for righteousness, for right living, and there is a payday for unrighteousness, for unrighteous living. And the bottom line is this, we make the choice. It's our call. I think about people that live in our world today in a constant drunken stupor. The Bible says there's a payday someday because you see in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul said that drunkards, they shall not inherit the kingdom of God. I think about individuals in our world today that are sexually promiscuous. They choose to quote unquote sleep around. The Bible says that fornicators and adulterers, God will judge, Hebrews chapter 13. Why is that? Because there's a payday someday. There are some people in our world today, they have a problem telling the truth. Dishonesty is a part of everyday living. Well, there's a payday someday. John said, all liars, A-L-L, all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. Oh, there's a payday coming someday. There are folks in our world today, they get caught up in the world, they act like the world, they think like the world, they live like the world, and John said, the world passeth away and the lust thereof. There's a payday coming someday. So you need to understand, if you choose to live for God, there's a payday. There's a payday for the righteous, but there's also a payday for the unrighteous. In Galatians chapter 6, Paul said, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Those who sow to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. Those who sow to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. The choice, it's ours. We decide where to cast our lot in life. Are we going to live for the Lord? If we live for the Lord, great blessings. We choose to live for the world, the system that is called the world in Scripture. Well, it'll come back to haunt us one day. So, the bondage of sin. But then there is what Jesus identifies as the beauty of salvation. The beauty of salvation could be summed up as liberty. We talk about liberty and how grateful we are to know that we live in the land of the free. We are so blessed in this country, but far greater than our physical blessings in this country, spiritual blessings. To know that we can be free in Christ Jesus. To know that Jesus can make us free. Let's talk for just a minute about the cost of freedom. I said a moment ago that our lesson today is titled, Freedom is Not Cheap. It's not. And what you have to understand is, Jesus paid the price for us to enjoy spiritual freedom. So having said that, let, let me just cite for you a couple of things. First, think about the sacrifice of Jesus' body for us. Did you know that Jesus died 
for you? Paul, in writing to the saints in Rome, said, God commendeth his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You could easily substitute the term us and just put Christ died for me. He died for me. He gave his body for me. Peter tells us that Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we being dead unto sin might live unto righteousness. When Jesus was about to be betrayed by Judas Iscariot, actually prior to his betrayal, he instituted what has been called, has been called the Lord's Supper. And he said, this is my body which is given for you. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 said that we are to partake of the bread in memory of him. A moment ago we partook of the Lord's Supper and we reminded ourselves of that body that was given on Calvary for us. Go back sometime this week and read Matthew's account of the crucifixion of Jesus. When you begin to read Matthew's account of the crucifixion of Jesus, you, you get insight into the ill treatment that Jesus endured on Calvary for your sins. Furthermore, Matthew, in a very graphic way, talks about the ill treatment that Jesus received in his body, in the body. The Bible talks about how they slapped the Son of God. They took a crown of thorns and placed it on his head. He was scourged. They spat upon him. The ill treatment that Jesus received for me, for my sins. We talk about the cost of freedom. Jesus laid it all on the line for me. He gave his life for my sins. And then, not only did Jesus sacrifice his body, the Bible says he shed his blood. Again, in Matthew chapter 26, when Jesus instituted the memorial feast that we are to partake of until he comes again, Jesus said, this is the blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Somebody says, what did it cost Jesus for my salvation? Number one, it cost him his body. Number two, it cost him his blood. Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, Revelation chapter 13, verse 8. Jesus shed his blood in death. You remember John 19, verse 34? The soldier that pierced the side of Jesus, and John tells us that blood came forth. John would write in Revelation chapter 1 at verse 5, unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins by his own blood. Peter said we have been redeemed not by corruptible things such as silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Christ. As of a lamb without spot and without blemish, Jesus shed his blood for us. Now again, to make it more personal, 
Read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, where Paul said, in him we have redemption. You could say, in him I have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. When John wrote in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, unto him who loved us, read it sometime, unto him who loved me, Jesus loved me and shed his blood for my sins. Sometimes the problem we have in Christianity, we don't make it personal. We think about it theoretically. We talk about it in abstract terms. We never make it personal. And when it's not personal, there is lacking a life of commitment. Sometimes you have to wonder, if the reason we have failed to turn the world upside down like they did in the first century is because we have not made Christianity personal. It's not a part of us. We, we live Christianity like we put on a suit of clothes. We put it on, we take it off. And yet Paul would say in Colossians chapter 3, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 3, that Christ is our life. That's personal. That's making the sum of life Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so the cost of our freedom, it cost the Son of God everything. Jesus gave everything. The Bible says, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Jesus suffered and tasted death for every man. That's inclusive of all of us. And then what about the criterion for freedom? Let me suggest to you that there's a correlation between the scriptures and salvation. Sometimes people try to separate the scriptures from their salvation. You can't do that. The two go hand in hand. Listen to what Jesus said. In verse 32, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You see, the truth of Almighty God leads to salvation in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Everything that you need to know about the deity of Christ, where can you find that? In the truth? In the truth of God? John said... In John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Jesus was the agent by which the world was made. In verse 14, He said, and the Word became flesh. In John chapter 1, verse 29, the statement is made, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Everything that you need to know about the deity of Christ, the work of Christ, the will of God, it's right here in this book that we call the Bible. You see, God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Why is it some people are not saved? Because they don't know the truth. Did you know that Jesus is interested in your salvation? When he went to the cross, he died for you. Think about it for just a moment. When Jesus went to the cross 2,000 years ago, he had you in mind. Every one of us, he had us in mind. The Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross so that we might be saved. Now, 
We talk about the blessings of truth and knowing the truth. Why is it important that I understand what the truth of God says? Because the Bible tells me that without Jesus Christ, I'm living a life of sin. Now, think for a moment about the implications of living in sin. Failing to grasp the deity of Christ, the work of Christ in the realm of salvation. Listen to what Jesus said in John 8, verse 21. In, verse eight, in chapter 8, verse 21, Jesus said to, to the disciples, to the apostles, I'm going away. You'll seek me and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. Actually, he's talking here to the Jews of his day. But then in verse 24, he said, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Let me just ask this question. We talk about salvation in Jesus Christ. If you die outside of Christ, you're going to die in sin. And Jesus said, if you die in sin, where I am, there you can't come. There were a lot of Jews in the first century that should have understood Jesus to be the Messiah. John said he came to his own, his own received him not. Today, there are a lot of folks that don't understand that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He is their only hope. What then would a person need to do to become a child of God? Well, you've got to believe that he's the Son of God. He said himself, except you believe that I'm he, you'll die in your sins. If you die in your sins, he said, where I am, there you can't come. The Jews thought because they had because they had genealogical ties to Abraham, that, hey, everything's okay. And what Jesus is saying is, that's not okay. You've got to become a follower, a disciple of me. Today you want to enjoy salvation that's in Christ. How do you become his disciple? You believe he's the son of God. You repent of your sins. You confess the name of Christ. You're baptized into him so that every sin can be washed away, Acts 2.38. Now, not only does the truth of God lead to salvation in Christ, but it leads to stability in Christ. I want to ask you a question very quickly. How stable is your life? Is your life even keel? Everything going well? Are you happy, content, satisfied with where you are in life? There are a lot of people in our world today, if you were to ask them point blank, is your life a life of stability? You know what they'd say? No, not at all. There are a lot of folks in our world today, their lives are upside down. They're living lives of turbulence. Why is that? Because they're not living for the Lord. I'm not saying that if you become a child of God, every problem you have is going to evaporate. That's not the case. But I am saying that if you choose to live for the Lord, you'll have him on your side. You can turn to him. You can cast your cares on him. You can understand, you can come to understand that living for the Lord is a lot better than living for the world. There are a whole lot of people in our world, if you were to just sum it up, their life is off course, off track. And yet Jesus can put your life on track. You ever seen, you ever seen a, a train derail? You ever seen the carnage and, and the problems that result from a train wreck? train derailment there are people all over this county all over this state all over this nation all over this world whose lives have been derailed by sin 
And what, what the Bible says is, if you will live for Jesus, he can bring stability and strength and serenity to your life. You will have the peace of God which passes all understanding reigning in your life according to Philippians chapter 4. There's a third thing the truth of God will do for you and that is it will bring rock solid surety or security to your life. Listen again to what Jesus said in verse 31. He said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. How can I know that I am living for the Lord? Jesus said it right here, if you abide in my word. You abide in the word of Christ and you have the assurance you are one of his disciples. One day, whether we like it or not, death's going to come. Now I understand, Jesus may precede our death. He may come first. And if that be the case, then so be it. But if the Lord delays his coming, one day we're going to step out into eternity. Whether we like it or not, whether we're young or old, black or white, rich or poor, doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is, death is coming. The Bible says, it is appointed that a man wants to die, and after this cometh the judgment. So we're going to step out into eternity. How sure are you about taking that step into eternity? If, perchance, your life were to end this week. If you died this week, how secure would your soul be? John said in 1 John chapter 5, he that has the Son has life. He that has not the Son of God does not have life. If you're living for the Lord, if you're abiding in his word, if death comes, you have no worries. Why? Because you're going home to be with him forevermore. You have the promise of life eternal. Jesus said to the apostles, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. If you're a child of God and you're abiding in his word, then listen, you're secure, you're safe. You can live with surety day in and day out. You don't have to worry about it. Flip side of that is if you're not in Christ, you got a lot to worry about because you're on perilous ground. Freedom isn't cheap. It would be a shame to not take advantage of the blessings that are in Christ. It would be a shame today to leave here outside of Jesus. Jesus paid the ultimate price for you. He gave his life so that you might live forevermore. In closing, I ask this question. Is your heart right with God? Are you faithful to him? If you're not a Christian, could I encourage you to come to him? Do what they did on Pentecost Day. Repent, be baptized, let Jesus add you to the church. If you're unfaithful, come home. Come as we stand and sing.